10.55 p.m. A local dog walker in Brentwood, a western L.A. neighborhood, is taking a leisurely stroll with one of her client's pets. As they walk down the street, they see a dog without a walker barking outside of a house. The Akita dog follows the dog walker all the way to their home, and at last they finally decide to inspect the dog. As the dog walker approaches, she notices something much worse has happened than a simple lost pet. As the paws of the Akita that was barking in the street are covered with blood. The dog walker gets the Akita to go back to the area which the dog walker originally found the pooch. And as the dog leads the way back to the house which it was barking in front of, fear turns into reality. As outside the house at the base of the steps leading to a still open door lies the body of Nicole Brown, stabbed multiple times with her throat slashed. The dog walker called the police, who found the body of Ron Goldman near that of Nicole's, and the ensuing investigation into the horrific double murder would soon lead to suicide attempts, slow speed chases, racial tension, and the trial of the century that centered around one man known as O.J. the Juice Simpson. So welcome back. <laughs> I know. You know, it's a, I just, I said dog so many times yeah. that I was like, what's another word for dog? Canine. That's, That's worse. It's too technical. Sure. It's too technical. Welcome back, everyone, <laughs> to another episode of White Collars, Red Hands. If you don't know what we're talking about today, that means you didn't listen to, to our the last episode, episode, which is part one of this, our season finale for season three, which uh, our season finales always focus on murder committed mm-hmm. by the wealthy. And this week, we continue our groundbreaking saga uh, of the never-before-told story of Never told. the murder of Nicole Brown and Ron Goldman at the hands of O.J. Simpson. It's funny, when we started this podcast, we originally planned this to be our 25th episode because that seemed so distant in the future. Yeah. And then we, yeah. we started doing it for the end of seasons, and we were like, that doesn't make any sense. That would be halfway through the season. So we yeah. just pushed it yep. back to the third season finale. In our 30, it ended up being our 31st. This is our 32nd because you were gone that week and we had to fill in an extra one. This is the 12th episode of this season. Oh, that's right. Uh, this week we decided to go with a little bit of a different format because we were thinking about what to start this with. And we were like, you know, let's not start with funny before I start describing the murder. Yeah, it just didn't seem appropriate. So we just we just let in with that and uh, let's just get straight into it. Yep. Uh, get in this murder. Oof, which this whole beginning, obviously, if you can't tell, is going to be about murder. There's going to be some graphic descriptions, and there's going to be descriptions of both um, bodily harm, assault, and all those things. So I know we don't always do that here at White Collars Red Hands. So if this affects you in a way, probably skip this. You know, yeah. if you're not like me and you can't listen to podcasts on serial killers, you know, maybe this isn't your thing. Yeah. Listen to another episode. Yeah, there's plenty of other episodes that are just on, like, corporate and accounting fraud. Mm -hmm. So if that's more your speed, maybe click off. Um, So let's let's get straight into the timeline, okay? On the night of June 12th, 1994, uh, Nicole Brown and O.J. Simpson attended their daughter's middle school dance recital. What a good way to start off the evening of a murder. Uh, And afterwards, Brown and her family went to eat at Metzaluna which is a restaurant that Brown had been known to frequent uh, and where she had recently started becoming quite friendly with one of the waiters. Uh, wink, wink, nudge, nudge. It means that they were uh, boinking, to put it in layman's terms. And his name was a 25-year-old Ron Goldman. I can't figure out what kind of restaurant this is. Mezzaluna? Yeah. Sounds Italian. It does. But it's also a specific type of knife. What the fuck? My mom used well, to doesn't it? I think Mezzaluna just means like half moon. Ah. Mezza. Luna. Well, I think it's an Italian restaurant. Also, that's so weird to take your family to a restaurant of the guy you're banging. Yeah, I don't know. This was just like a place that she always was. And, and it was weird because I'm not going to get into it. I actually don't bring it up at all in this, but I'll mention it briefly now that I guess after OJ and uh, Nicole officially called it quits, mm-hmm. she started doing a lot of cocaine. Mm-hmm. And Metzaluna was a known like place where you could go buy cocaine. Weirdly enough, so I think that's also why she hung out there so much. I knew I liked their Parmesan. Don't sniff Parmesan. (laughs) 
Come on. <laughs> Come on. Go just a little bit. I love the smell of cheese. I do. I'm sorry, officer. I thought this was Parmesan. <laughs> this is Parmesan. They said just tell me when to stop. Does cheese not numb your mouth? God. Uh, so, uh, after the visit uh, to the restaurant, Brown took the kids to Ben and Jerry's before finally making it home. Now, Brown's mother, however, arrived at her own home and noticed she left her glasses at Metaluna. So she phoned the restaurant and the manager found the glasses and put them in a white envelope. Goldman, when he got off his shift at around 9.50 p.m., took the white envelope saying he would drop it by Nicole's house because he obviously knew where that was because aforementioned they were boinking. Uh, <laughs> Giving her the old one, too. <laughs> Gross. The old horizontal shuffle. Ah, These people die soon, I know. I know. Have, <laughs> have some tact. But I can't. Uh, so, all the while, OJ is instead having a very different night, uh, eating in a much f- less fancy restaurant, McDonald's, with an actor friend of his, Cato Kalen. Uh, he was staying in OJ's guest house at the time uh, in his Brentwood estate. And then OJ and Cato made their way back there at around 9 p.m. Damn, they're eating McDonald's celebrities. They're just like us. Yeah. Big Macs and fries, supposedly. That's what they got. Big Macs and fries. Huh. I like a number nine. The fuck's a number nine? Two cheeseburgers. It's not a bad one. And a fry. It's not a bad one. And a drink. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. I'm a, I'm a double uh, bacon quarter pounder myself. Never had a quarter pounder. I've never had a McGangbang either. That's a recall. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you had one without the mick, though. Uh, <laughs> 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 These people die soon because Sean has some time. Yeah, let me get to it. Jesus. Uh, uh, at 10.15, barking from the Brown household is heard for the first time, not stopping until the dog walker finds the dog around 10.55. That's so long. Yeah, and this is largely believed to be the time of the murder because they think the dog got out when she left the door open and the dog was probably barking at the murder happening. Yeah. Um, but the bodies weren't officially discovered until just after midnight. Because as I, in the opening, I stated, they like, the dog followed this dog walker home. And then the dog walker was like, tried to get it to leave. And then it wouldn't go back to where they wanted to go. Like to where they found the dog. And then they tried later, like an hour later again. And they finally got the dog to go. Interesting. And then found the bodies. It was like 12, 13 or something. Um, sometime around 10, 15 though, Nicole Brown is met outside her house after she walks down the steps after leaving the front door open. Why she left the front door open, I don't know. But obviously you can tell she was planning on going back inside pretty quick. I think this is what I think happened. I think she thought it was Ron Goldman and she was going to come out and get the package quickly and then go back inside. Or Or, just meet him outside. Or whatever. Yeah, Yeah. just go out, get it, and then come back in. Okay. Uh, But instead of Ron Goldman, she met the murderer. The murderer. And upon being found, she was stabbed multiple times in the neck with only a few defensive wounds on her hands, indicating only a moderate struggle before the final and most gruesome wound was inflicted on her throat, uh, a cut so deep that she was almost decapitated. And we know she was murdered first out of the two uh, because there was a substantial amount of blood outside the house, but Nicole's feet were still clean on the bottom. Uh, indicating that she was likely also the target of the attack since she was the first one to die. Now, whether Goldman showed up at the wrong time right after Nicole was murdered, or whether he was there and didn't flee fast enough or was caught is not known, Uh, but what is known is that the assailant attacked him next. And Goldman also had relatively few defensive wounds, uh, indicating that after a short struggle, uh, the assailant got the better of him, also stabbing him multiple times in the neck. They were stabbed a lot and very gruesomely, leading investigators to think that this was obviously an act of, like, extreme rage. Right. A murder with a knife is already something very personal in Mm -hmm. the first place. Yeah. Uh, And then to do it with such, like, veracity is also really unheard of. It's so gruesome, the whole thing. Yeah, um, so I do enjoy, like... Stabbing people? Yeah, that's where I was going with 9 Yeah, I just, hey, you guys heard it here. I'm confessing that I like murder. I do kind of like murder, but not murdering. I like listening Uh to serial killer podcasts like I had mentioned earlier. I mean, yeah. Things like that. I have seen crime scene photos before. Mm -hmm. You know, 
These ones are pretty gruesome, though. Yeah, they're uh, bad. Out of, out of the ones that I've seen in my life, and it's pretty rough. Uh, during the struggle, however, the assailant was injured, most likely in the left hand, as next to Goldman's body lied not only the white envelope containing the glasses he came to deliver, but a left-handed leather glove covered in blood. And also during the assault, the murderer's blue knit cap flew off, containing a few hairs from the assailant. And the murderer then walked away from the scene, dripping blood from the wound, most likely on their left hand, leaving the bodies of Nicole and Ron behind to be discovered a few hours later. Now, meanwhile, at OJ's estate at 10.25 p.m., a limo driver had arrived to take Simpson to his red-eye flight to Chicago to meet up with some Hertz representatives that he was meant to leave for at 11.45 p.m. That's when the flight was departing yeah now the limousine driver at 10 40 p.m buzzed the intercom to simpson's house multiple times without an answer at which point he made multiple calls to his boss trying to get simpson's house phone number he noted also on the drive up uh that the house did not have any lights on and he had seen the house number from outside but didn't see a car outside and uh, simpson owned a like silver ford bronco and it wasn't there it was after this that the driver noticed a shadowy figure enter the house via the front door from the direction of the driveway. And around this time, Cato Kalen, who was on a phone call with his friend, came out to investigate some thumping sound that had happened from the other side of his wall. He said it was so loud, he almost thought that there was an earthquake happening. So it almost seems as if this person who jumped over the wall slammed into, like, jumped over the gate or something and slammed into the back of his house causing like three loud thumps or on the ground, he rolled something Mm -hmm. and then walked up the driveway and entered the house through the front door. And the shadowy figure matched OJ's description. He he said he was about six foot, maybe like 200 pounds stocky. Yeah. You know, now Kalen, when he came out, noticed the limousine driver, stopped investigating and let him in. And a few minutes after that, OJ Simpson finally came out of the house claiming that he had overslept, but he never responded to any of the, any of the intercom buzzers or anything. He's a heavy sleeper. So no one's there. No one's answering. None of the lights are on. A shadowy figure climbs in, enters the front door, and then like 10, 15 minutes later, OJ Simpson comes out. He's like, oh, I overslept. I mean, like, let's be real. You know you've got a limousine coming. You would not, I don't know. I don't think you'd be taking a nap. And the timelines don't line up. Yeah. Like, I mean, like, it's not like you could be like, oh, I fall asleep at 6 and I overslept. I meant to take a 30-minute yeah, nap. Yeah, we know he came back at like 9 p.m. Yeah, so because they were eating McDonald's at yeah. 9. And also, a weird thing is that uh, he came out, he had four bags with him, including a knapsack that he absolutely refused to let the limousine driver touch. Hmm. He wanted. He let him load the other three, but he was like, no, you can't touch this one, and loaded it himself. Hmm. Uh, and then when he got to um, the airport... The porter testified that he only checked three bags. Yeah, so this was before 2001, so it wouldn't have. Yeah, and none of them fit the description of the knapsack. And someone also later testified they saw oh. they saw OJ throwing something away at the airport. Got it. And quite a few things that were involved, including the murder weapon, were never found. They're somewhere in the LA airport. In the uh, trash well, now that now they're in a landfill. That came from there, yeah. Uh, OJ's flight then took off for Chicago. He made it on time somehow, by the way. He left really late. Like, he, he left at 11, and the flight took off at 11.45 or something. He somehow made it. That's insane. Whatever. The limo driver knew what he was doing. <laughs> uh, he knew a back way. But as uh, OJ was in the air, the police were picking up steam in the controversial investigation in Brentwood. Dun, dun, dun. So, after discovering the bodies... The detectives were then ordered to notify Simpson of the death of Nicole and to bring him to the police station so that he could pick up uh, their children who were asleep upstairs in the house at the time of the murder. So his kids were sleeping in the house when their mother was being murdered downstairs. How did they not hear that? That See, that's the weird thing about this is that no one heard anything. And... Like, their house but is maybe, close to other houses. There was people there. They reported hearing the dog barking, but they didn't report hearing anything else. Now, honestly, it just seems like it happened pretty fucking fast. Well, that's what I was going to say. Did she even have time to scream? Because it was like, I mean, I don't no, know. And they were both stabbed in the neck, too. So that's right. the thing. So if they it's immediately like got stabbed in the neck, they can't scream. she 
didn't even know what was going on. Like they came from he whoever murdered her came from the side or behind or yeah wherever <clears throat> stabs you in the neck. I mean you're not gonna. <laughs> I had punched myself in the throat on accident. <laughs> <laughs> Podcasting is a dangerous. It's, it's a dangerous, dangerous job sport. <laughs> but um, and well, yeah, there were there was little defensive wounds, so I kind of yeah. figured they were both kind of caught off guard. Yeah, I think it was just like a, and then they didn't yell, which makes me think Ron Goldman was never there, like not never there, but he like came later and yeah. then got attacked. Yeah, because it for me it's just serendipity. Like other than that, it would have to be like he rolled up to the house and waited. But how would he know that Ron was coming? You know, so I really think he was going to get her, and then Ron showed up, and he was just kind of an unfortunate bystander. Yeah, it makes sense. But, makes you know, sense. Uh, when they arrived to Simpson's house, though, obviously Simpson's out of town. Right. So he's not home, so no one answers. And then they notice that his Ford Bronco is parked out front in a really haphazard manner. Like, the back is out farther than the front. Mm-hmm. It's not in a straight line. Yeah, and they're like, okay, that's weird. So they go up to look at it. And now they notice there's a smear of blood by the door handle, mm. which is which was indicative of someone like if you had a, a knuckle injury, yeah. it was like when you grab it, it was like back, it was back behind the handle, yeah. like how your finger knuckle would rub on it if it was hurt and leave a, a smudge. Right. So finding this, they made what would later be a very controversial decision to enter the estate without a warrant thinking that someone might be hurt because they found blood in the car parked weird. So one of them jumps over the jumps over the wall and unlocks the gate to let the other three detectives in. And mm. that was later that was later kind of painted as being like you probably should have waited for a warrant or called it in or something but they entered immediately. Yeah. Um and I don't know where I stand on that one. That's kind of I could see it going either way. Like Yeah, I mean if you think if you think someone's yeah, hurt. It also wasn't a lot of blood, but that paired with like the car being parked weird, you're like, okay, maybe. Um, but on, upon entering the property, they did find Cato Kalen, who was still there, uh, who told the police in a brief interview, told the police about the thumps he had heard behind the guest house last night. And they were like, huh, okay, let's go check it out. So then Detective Mark Furman whose name will be coming back around, and he's the only detective who I name because he's the one who's the most important in this, mm-hmm. went around to the South Alley to investigate alone, and he found the famous bloody glove that looked to be the exact partner of the one found at the murder scene. So based on the bloody glove and also finding drops of blood in the driveway leading up to the house, they then entered the main home of, a- of OJ's estate. And inside the house... They not only found more blood dripped onto the floor, but they also found a pair of socks upstairs. And those socks, later under a microscope, were found to have blood spatter on them. Then they went to the Bronco that he had parked outside, and they found blood on the handle, obviously, but also blood on the inside in the same manner, like a like a knuckle had scraped it while closing the door. And they found blood smears on the center console of the car, as well as a bloody footprint on the doormat. He didn't clean up very good. No. No, he did not. He did a terrible job of cleaning up. Like, I don't know. Was he that cocky that he just thought no one was going to catch him? I honestly don't know. But the fact that, like... Or, you know, I've met people who have anger issues, and O.J. Simpson had a history of anger issues. Yeah. Who they, like, snap, and then they... Do something like very irrational. It's literally called, there's it's intermittent rage disorder, which is actually what his son was diagnosed with. Oh, um, so it's very possible they will seem normal and fine most of the time, and then something just throws them into it like an unbelievable rage. It's actually treated with medication similar to a uh, seizure medication. Oh, interesting. The and the only reason I know this is, and I actually don't bring this up because I didn't have time to fit in the other theories about what happened, and also they're all pretty stupid. So I was like, I'm not going to include these. Um, but his son is one of them. Um, wasn't he like 10? No, no, no. He was like 20, like 6. When this his happened? His oldest son. It's a son oh, from the previous marriage. I'm sorry. I thought you meant his son with Nicole. No. 
This the, his son from the previous marriage was diagnosed with intermittent rage disorder. He had been off his medication, and he had threatened his girlfriends previously with knives. And they questioned his alibi, but it was all controversial. There's like this big PI who did his own investigation into Why? it. And it was like, it's the son, but it's stupid. Why would his son want to kill? Nicole that was the Brown? that was the thing. They never. They never put a motive. It was just like, he's upset and off his meds. I'm like, why would he drive to her house and just murder her out of nowhere, though? Especially with nothing triggering it. Doesn't that disorder, like, need a trigger? I don't think so. Like, the trigger could be anything, though. It doesn't right. have to be rational. So, no, it's stupid. Yeah. Uh, it's, yeah, that's stupid. Uh, but either way, they found all of the blood uh, in the Bronco. And then at the original crime scene, the investigators also found bloody footprints that didn't match either of the victims. Uh, and blood on the back of the gate, in addition to the blood trail leading from the bodies to the gate. That was not theirs. It was like a drip. So it was a much, blood drip going back Literally there. so much blood. Okay. And then on the gate, like the same thing. Like someone opened the gate with a bloody hand and left some blood on it. Take a shot every time Kashan says blood. There's a lot of blood. All right? I don't feel good. I really hate blood. Uh, but... Uh, the, the thing about this is the investigation was later paying for a lot of other things, um, but they didn't recover that blood on the back door handle until like three weeks later, though. What? Yeah. So they didn't originally see it. And then it, it was captured. Yeah. It was captured in photographs at the time, though. So it was there then, but no one swabbed it because they missed it. Like the people who were doing the, co- the sample collection missed it. You have one fucking job, dude. Yes. And this is also, you had to know that this, like, they should have, they should have known this was going to be a big case. They should have been doing it right. But yeah. Whatever. But here we are. Um, after finding the glove at Simpson's estate, uh, an arrest warrant was issued, or at least probable cause for an arrest warrant was noted. And then they called Chicago, like, or they called Simpson in Chicago to tell him about the death. And they said that uh, OJ did seem upset about Brown's death. But he was really weird in how he responded to it. Like, he never asked if the children had been hurt. He asked if they saw their mother's body. So, like, he, he seemed to already know, like, they weren't hurt. Yeah. Or according to one account, and I don't really think this is real, but according to one account, when they called and they notified him of the death, he immediately said, who killed her? Oh. Instead of, how did she die? Ooh. Which, that was a pretty bad one, and I also but, don't know if it's But true. he also didn't clean anything up, so like... Yeah, yeah. he was kind of stupid about it. Um, the police contacted Simpson on June 13th, the day after the murder, and took him in for questioning. And at this time, they noticed that he had a cut on one of the fingers of his left hand, which Simpson ended up giving multiple excuses for. At first, he said that he broke it on a glass that he broke in his hotel room in Chicago, which they did find the broken glass in the hotel room and bloody sheets and the like guest, like the concierge down at the uh, front desk did remember giving Simpson a Band-Aid for it. But I feel like he might have done that on purpose. Yeah. Like that might have been his cover-up that he thought about later. Because Yeah, let me break this glass. Because he changed his story after they said, but we found blood on your car door handle like you had had this before you left for Chicago. And he was like, oh, yeah, I did it on June 12th, but he couldn't give a reason then. <laughs> I did it on June 12th in my hotel in Chicago. But before he left, he before was like, I was left. like oh, yeah, no, I was still there. I cut it there. I don't remember how, but that's how the blood got there, basically. Which is funny. He, he's obviously contradicting himself. He did that a couple more times with some other stuff, but that was the big one. Um, and then they did release Simpson after that for a few days. while, And it was on purpose because they knew that they had to get this 100% right before they arrested him. Mm-hmm. Um, because they knew it would be really public. So they wanted to rate, wait for all of the final DNA results to get in on the blood that they found. And during this time that OJ was out, he hired Robert Shapiro as his lawyer, who was also famously the the uh, short-time lawyer for the Menendez brothers, which we might cover sometimes in the future. They were actually also the children of two very wealthy people who murdered their parents. Mm-hmm. Another podcast. Um, and Robert Shapiro immediately started assembling the lawyer team that would eventually be known as the Dream Team, a group of lawyers who would represent OJ and who were all well-known and very expensive at the time and included his own personal friend, Robert Kardashian. 
But on June 17th, the DNA results came back from the labs. And these results were also double-checked at two other labs. So three labs separately tested all of these. And they all, none of them contradicted each other. They all came back with the same results. Um, And they were the nail in the coffin in in O.J. Simpson's case. Uh, The blood drops next to the bodies on the back door of the Browns' residence. The blood on the outside of the Bronco and Drips headed to Simpson's house came back to match O.J. Simpson, placing him at the crime scene. And the blood on the center console on both gloves, the one found at Simpson's residence and the one found at the Browns' residence, uh, were found to be a mixture of Nicole Brown's, Ron Goldman's, and O.J. Simpson's blood. And also on the socks. Was all three blood? The socks were Nicole Brown's. Specifically, Interesting. So that not only places him at the crime scene, but also places him in direct area of effect, or whatever you'll call it, of the blood spatter, which puts him there at the time of the murder, too. Not just like he came there later. Right, right, know, right. And like walked through it and was like, oh, shit. Oh, shit. What's all in? What's this puddle? And uh, following this, detectives were going to charge Simpson with two counts of first-degree murder. Now, LAPD notified Simpson's lawyer, Shapiro, that they were filing the charges and that Simpson would have to turn himself in after the charges were filed at 11 a.m. Simpson then said that he would like to turn himself in instead of them coming and arresting him. And they thought that someone so famous would, it would you know, he can't flee because mm-hmm. he can't like blend into the background anywhere. Right. So they were like, especially oh. when you're as giant as you are. Exactly. So they're like, okay, we'll let you self turn. We'll let you turn yourself in. And they even let him delay it until noon because um, Shapiro was like, Hey, we'd like a little bit more time because we want him to see a mental health professional. He's showing signs of suicidal depression. He wrote three sealed letters, one to his mom, uh, one to his kids and one to the public and had like redone his will and a bunch of stuff. That's like an indicator that someone might kill themselves soon. And the police were, were like, okay, they were like, fine, you can come, in, you can come in at noon, not 11. It doesn't make sense. Like let's seek a mental health professional. Like, you, but it's only an hour later. You can fix all that shit in an hour now. <laughs> all right. All right. Um, However, in the next few hours, Simpson would sneak out of the house and would not be seen by police until they caught up to him in the famous slow speed chase in a white Ford Bronco driven by Simpson's friend and former teammate, Al Cowlings. I just love that he's in the same Bronco. It's a, well, it's a different Bronco. Oh, it's a different Bronco. So, uh, OJ Simpson owned like a silverish Bronco. Yeah. Um, and then Al Cowlings owned the famous white Bronco. What was the obsession with Broncos? I don't know, man. Maybe they just really liked them, and then they wanted to be cool and matching. I don't fucking know. They're like, hey, no homo, but if we got these matching Broncos. It's just like the biggest SUV you can buy. Those things are huge, especially back in the 90s. Yeah. I also just think they were popular in the 90s. But uh, All right. Police caught up with the Bronco after Simpson called 911 at 5.51 p.m., uh, which Cowlings was driving the Bronco. So O.J. Simpson was in the back seat. Okay. And Cowlings was driving the Bronco, and he indicated that he couldn't stop because O.J. had a loaded gun to his own head and was to his own head and was threatening suicide. Did he have an, a did he have a cell phone? I think so. I think they he might had a, to they a, probably had a car phone or something. Yeah, because it was like what ninety cell phone yeah, cell phones were in the eighties. You could have a cell phone in the eighties. Alright, he must have had a cell phone. Um so he couldn't stop, and they're literally going like 40 miles per hour down the highway. <laughs> so it's like the only slow speed chase I've ever heard of where they just like just couldn't stop. And they didn't want to like forcibly stop them because they didn't want OJ to kill himself. It's a lot of special treatment for OJ Simpson. I think they would do that with most people. I think that is the protocol. Like if someone called from, if anyone called from a car who was like a murder suspect and they said like, I'm going to kill myself, they'd be like, they'd probably do the same thing. Yeah. So I don't think it's special treatment for him. If anything, I think they would treat him worse if they had the option. Oh, if they had the option, yeah. Yeah. So uh, this then became a big televised event because the media found the Bronco. It was going very slow. You could find it very easily. Uh, And they found it and they covered the whole chase. The chase garnered 95 million viewers on TV. Damn. Which is 5 million more than the previous year's Super Bowl in 1993. This is more interesting than the Super Bowl, Kashan. Obviously, they also 
famously interrupted the 1994 NBA Finals game to show the chase. Like, it was still on, but they put it on in a little box in the corner. Oh, that's and then hilarious. They had the coverage for the chase as the big thing on screen. <laughs> the NBA was like, once again, the NFL overshadows us. <laughs> People in the area also, because they could tell where he was, people were coming out of the streets to, like, like see the chase. Like, they I knew mean, where I he was going to be. So they were all coming out, and they were shouting things like, Go Juice Go, which is a reference to the Hertz commercial he was in, because he's, like, running through the airport or something to get to a car, and he's, like, dodging like he's in football. And they're like, Go Juice Go. So people came out and did that shit. Go Juice Go. Go, Juice, go. No one not from Chicago will get that reference. Because no. that's the Cubs thing. <laughs> yeah, it's the Cubs theme song. They sing it after they win a game. It's very inappropriate to go along with the murder. Uh, <laughs> they were already <laughs> chanting it. No, they were saying, go, Juice, go. So this was also really inappropriate to do for a murderer. Yeah, so, I just did what they did. That's doesn't make it better. <laughs> This, you just don't like to have fun. This chase that started at 5.51 p.m. would then end at 8 p.m. So this chase lasted for two hours. Yeah. BT dubs. When the Bronco pulled into Simpson's Brentwood Estate, uh, where after being talked down by a negotiator for 45 minutes, O.J. Simpson was promised time to go inside to talk to his mom before he was taken into custody. So Simpson exited the vehicle with a family photo in his hands and went into the residence. A family photo of who? Like him, Nicole, and the kids, or like all. Everybody? I think it's him and his family, maybe oh, including his kids, okay. but none of that. So while Simpson talked to his mom inside the residence, uh, officers searched the Bronco and found eight thousand dollars in cash, uh, a change of clothing, uh, the loaded three fifty seven Magnum that Simpson was holding to his own head, and a just ridiculously stupid fake disguise kit that included a fake goatee and a mustache that you could glue on, and also his passport so they're pretty sure that his idea was to go to an airport with his passport that's not doctored in any way and eight thousand dollars in cash and put on a fake beard and mustache to try and get through security and get out of the country but when is he gonna put the beard and mustache on i don't know he broke down and then wanted to commit suicide instead so i don't know he was like, this plan will never work. I'm going to kill myself. And later they opened a, a sealed letter, that sealed letter that Simpson had written to the public specifically before leaving the estate and also the ones to his mom and his kids. And they read them. And in those notes, which did read like a suicide note, he claimed his innocence in the murder of Nicole Brown. So if you were looking for those to be like the thing that got him, no, nah, it's the opposite. He claimed his innocence in there. Yeah, so no. he's like, I think he said something along the lines of all I've ever done is love Nicole. That's not true. You beat the shit out of her. Yeah, you did do that. You um, made her get breast implants. That's not things you do to people you love. Yeah. You ask them to get breast implants if you love them. You don't right. make them. Exactly. You pay for them to get the gummy bear implant. Hey, at least he waited until after she was 21. To force her, you know, after her breasts were done developing. Mm -hmm. Callback. Yes. <laughs> um, He's so, like, all right, they're not going to get any bigger. Plump them up. Nah, these are done developing. We got to give are you these? a boost. What are these? Honk, honk. Ah, seize. <laughs> we're getting to the trial now. All right, the serious part. So only seven months after the murders, the televised trial was slated to begin. Presided over by Lance Ito who made some very controversial decisions on the evidence that the defense could propose, which we'll talk about in a little mm -hmm. bit. Um, the prosecution relied heavily on the physical DNA evidence uh, from the blood uh, in multiple areas linked to Simpson, especially his blood found at the crime scene, and also the hair in that knitted cap that was left there was also a match to Simpson. It just kills me. This should have been so cut and dry. Uh, so... In addition, although uh, not proven during the trial, those shoe prints they found um, were matched to a very rare shoe that was OJ's size. And although OJ denied owning a pair of the shoes and they could never find an official receipt that he bought them, photos were later released that proved he was wearing those shoes. You could even see the soles and like people were like, 
like someone who's knowledgeable in the shoes was like, oh, that's the shoes. <laughs> he actually claimed that those photos were doctored somehow. He's like, yeah, they photoshopped those shoes on me. That's what he claimed. But one of them was in a newspaper that was photoshopped. Like, yeah, it was released by the Bills like years before. It was photoshopped. The so was- like, there's no way someone could do that. Uh, unless this is just a real long con. It they is. Knew. It is. The police put out that picture in the newspaper. They did. The years before the murder. So uh, those shoes, though, like the murder weapon, were never found and likely tossed in that bag at the airport. The prosecution also referred to Simpson's past with domestic violence against Nicole that we mentioned in last week's episode. And they also cited the limousine driver's testimony as a pretty good indication that Simpson committed the murder. And was coming back in that also everything fit into the timeline pretty perfectly. Uh, The defense, however, had this huge mountain of evidence to overcome. And they attacked all of this physical evidence through a theory they summarized in their opening statement as compromised, contaminated, corrupted. They Very catchy, at least. I mean, Yeah, the three C's. There was like eight very decorated lawyers. The defense argued that the evidence was compromised by the collection process, that collectors did not change gloves at the correct time, that they stored the samples in plastic bags rather than the recommended paper, and that they were left in a hot car for seven hours rather than refrigerated, thereby degrading 100% of the real killer's DNA samples. Yeah, it just it just broke down to exactly O.J. Simpson's DNA. Well, they also said... That the evidence was contaminated by the LAPD lab with blood from Simpson's reference vial in all but three samples. So they said that the reason his blood was present in all the other ones is because the lab fucked up and contaminated all of them with his blood. Okay, guys. (laughs) It's very stupid. Um, I love a good conspiracy theory, but like, come on. And then they said that the remaining three blood samples... Uh, were supposedly planted by the LAPD in an attempt to frame Simpson as a result showing that the police system was corrupted, the last C. So the prosecution had answers to literally all of these claims. So, however, although the collectors did admit to making those minor mistakes, like not changing gloves when they necessarily should have, and there was, like, videos of, like, police, like, walking through the blood... And stuff like like they were bad at the at the at the forensic process, the forensic investigation process. They made a lot of minor mistakes, but there's no way that these mistakes could destroy the actual killer's DNA. They couldn't have they couldn't have degraded it all out of the sample because if they did that, it would render them completely untestable. It would the results would just be inconclusive if that happened. Right. But the test did provide results. So that can't be it on all of those. Right. You know, they also run these control tests to avoid cross-contamination in the labs. Mm -hmm. And out of these 47 control tests that they conducted at the three separate facilities running the tests, they all came back negative for contamination. So it would basically mean there was 47 false negatives on the control tests. Yeah. No, that's not going to happen. Which is just not true. And the defense based their contamination claims largely on the testimony of this gentleman named Dr. Gertis, who, although he he had no forensic experience at all, testified that PCR DNA matching the likes of which that are done at the LAPD lab are always subject to contamination and therefore never reliable. And although during cross-examination, Dr. Gertis then said that he was only describing what could have happened and not what definitively did happen... You know, the jury had to sit through these long descriptions on DNA analysis, which is hard for the average person to understand, especially at a time when DNA was such a new concept. They'd only been doing this for like three years. Right. Yeah. It came out in the late 80s or early 90s. Yeah. I think 1991 was around the first time they like did PCR analysis. Oh, PCR. Yeah. Yeah. Which is how you do DNA testing. Before PCR, DNA testing, it... Was a thing, but not really. Yeah. It was much harder to do. But why did they... Well, okay. Go ahead. I'm just like, why'd they even let this guy talk if he didn't know what he was talking about? He was uh, put in as admissible by the judge. He said, okay, you can talk. Because he he is... So he is an expert in that field, just not in forensics. So he really doesn't have any credence to talk about specifically um, forensic labs 
And he also talked about how, like, specifically the LAPD lab was a really bad place for it. Mm-hmm. But he didn't really give a lot of reasons why. Like, why? And this is one of the things that the judge got shit for, is that he let him talk about not just contamination that occurred in this trial, but contamination that had occurred previously at the LAPD lab or by the LAPD police or in the other labs that the tests were conducted at. So he was saying stuff like, oh, yeah, one time, like three years ago, the lab had a problem with cross-contamination. And the jury would hear that and be like, oh, this can't be this right. isn't reliable then. Yeah. But that lab, when they had that cross-contamination accident, it was proven by their own quality control test that they did that right. these ones came back negative on. So it was just a mute point. Yeah. So it, it was just hard for, you know, the jury to wrap their heads around they talked eight hours a day for nine weeks just on the dna evidence in this case so it's gonna get confusing at some point and it probably just wasn't presented in a good way because the defense was specifically trying to cherry pick things oh and absolutely confuse the jury as much as possible well and as a jury member who doesn't really know anything about this like you know how like t- like tired they had to have been and Oh yeah, they, oh were, they were also. They had Your brain the, would be fried. They were sequestered for the longest time before the trial, two hundred and fifty six days, yeah. where they did had no contact with anyone, the outside world at all. No, I yeah, I remember reading that before. That's the record. <laughs> it's terrible. Um, the defense also neglected to conduct their own DNA analysis, by the way, because. They approached multiple experts, and all of them came back saying they found nothing wrong with the with the lab's investigations into the DNA. Yeah, I mean, so I they, would... they approached multiple people, and all the people were like, "No, we support the other people." So they didn't call them to the stand. I don't blame them. I um, mean, that'd be really fucking dumb for uh, them to be like, "Actually, no, there was no problem." <laughs> yes, it's bad to present evidence that directly contradicts what you're trying to yeah. do in court. Yeah. <laughs> The defense's claim of planted evidence, though, so that was the uh, the first two C. But the corruption claim that the blood was planted in those three instances by the police relied on two things. Uh, and the first one is that a chemical used to preserve blood in vials in labs called EDTA was found in Simpson's blood on the back door and leading away from the bodies and in his car. So at first you think... How'd that get there? Mm-hmm. They had to... So there were a couple vials of OJ's blood that they took, a reference vial from, from him to compare to blood at the crime scene that was in the possession of the lead detective. But the timeline does play out that he got it, mm-hmm. and it's logged that he got it. There's video evidence of him leaving with it. Mm-hmm. There's video evidence of him arriving to the crime scene and giving it to the collector. And then the collector testified that it was in a sealed envelope. Oh, And he wrote the time that he got it down, and it was like... 10 minutes after he arrived. There's no way. So there's no way he could plant all of it in that time. Right. And then that evidence was put into the, like, evidence truck that they had. Okay. It was logged in there mm-hmm. immediately after that. And the there was, like, a video camera on it the whole time. And he never went in to that also. So he could never have, like, put the... Yeah, he couldn't have fucked with he it. He couldn't have put the blood on the socks or on the gloves. Right. Because he never had access to them because those were already in evidence. Yeah. So they, the defense had an expert give testimony that uh, the EDTA in the blood was only naturally occurring in parts per billion in reference to an EPA study, but that the blood found at the crime scene uh, registered in the parts per million, which is a thousand times more than normal. So that would say something. But then the prosecution pulled up the EPA article that he was referencing and showed it to him and was like, nah, man, you literally misread it. It says that it's normal in parts per million. (laughs) He literally just misread the article and was like, oh, this is so much more. And then testified about it in court without double fucking checking. So the prosecution called their own expert. And they were like, no, you idiot. The prosecution called their own expert who pulled his own blood and tested it and showed EDTA in parts per million and then showed that you can get it by from eating things and that it's specifically found in Big Macs and fries. Nuh-uh. At McDonald's. Nuh-uh. In, in trace amounts. It's found in food. That's so funny. Well, that's because there's all kinds of chemicals in McDonald's food. Yeah. So it, it's in most food. I'm not, like, knocking EDTA. It's a preservative. It's used in a lot of foods in America and mm-hmm. it gets processed. So that's obviously out the window. Yeah. There are other 
like sticking point for the planting of the evidence, however, centered largely around Detective Furman, who we talked about earlier, the one who originally found the bloody glove at Simpson's residence because they said that he planted that glove and they played audio of him using a racial slur, which was the N-word, around 41 times eight years prior to the investigation. And they also... When was... Was this just like when he was in his car and stuff? Like when they're like, hey, we've got a suspect on, you know, so, Second Avenue. And he's like, oh. No, he was approached to do a spot for like a documentary that was being filmed. Okay. Supposedly, he came out later and said they asked him to like play it up and to be more like aggressive and stuff about it because it was about like something about like female police people. I don't know. He probably shouldn't have been using the N-word. Yeah, it sounds like you didn't have to use the N-word. But he did a lot. Oof. So they had that. They also had him talk like they had recordings of him. I don't know where I think it was in the same thing about him talking kind of in favor for police brutality. And this is two years after the Rodney King trial. Not that a, was not, in L.A. Not a good time, dude. Yeah, in 1992. And for those of you who don't know, uh, a young black man named Rodney King was savagely beaten by the police. And then those police people were acquitted for all charges from that. Mm-hmm. Even though it was very obviously it happened. It was terrible. And it started riots in L.A. in 1992. As it should have. So this is a very racially sensitive time in L.A. specifically where the jurors are pulled from as well. Mm-hmm. So we do have to remember that. And because of all of this recording of him saying the N-word and coming out for police brutality, um, they cited a racist intent to frame Simpson because of the interracial relationship that he was in with Nicole Brown previously. Don't get me wrong. This Furman guy is a piece of shit. There are a lot of really bad cops out there. Mm-hmm. Incidents happen to this day. Mm-hmm. But the timeline just doesn't match up from them planting well, all this evidence. What's uh, Yeah, what's hard about this is just like, yeah, he's a piece of shit, but this is actually what happened. Like, I understand the feeling, but feeling started to overtake logic. Yeah. I think is the thing. Mm-hmm. And it's like, yeah, cops have done that, but it just doesn't seem like it's this time. Right. This no. This seems no. like he kind of did it. Absolutely and not. And that, that glove that he planted itself obviously became a big point of the trial. Like, yeah. that's the main thing that was like, besides the blood evidence of his blood there, that he, like, had killed them because their blood was on his hands, literally, on the glove. And we also remember the big thing that happened in the trial when they had him put it on over a latex glove, I, I might add. And then it was a little bit too small. And then the lawyer was like, if the glove doesn't fit, acquit. Which is the, obviously the famous line from the trial. Yes, it is. But the prosecution was dead set against them using that in the trial, and the judge allowed it. But they were dead set against it because the glove had been covered in blood and then frozen and unfrozen multiple times. It's going to manipulate the leather. It had caused it to shrink. Mm-hmm. And the prosecution even called in their own expert that brought in the same glove of the same size, but it was still normal. Nothing had been done to it. And they showed it fitting OJ in in court. But if the glove doesn't fit, Kishan. Acquit. Acquit. Also, they had pictures of him wearing gloves very similar to those ones in pictures before the murder. So he obviously owned a pair too. And guess what they didn't find at his house? Another pair of gloves. You know? He did it. It's obvious. <laughs> uh, but, but their defense in their closing argument didn't refute any of those statements from the prosecution. Right. They did, however, hit really hard on the racial element of this case, comparing Furman to Hitler in their closing argument and pointing to the cops' hate of interracial relationships. To Hitler? Yeah. They compared him directly to Hitler as like a... They called him like a genocidal monster. Like he like... Or he sympathized with like a genocidal monster. It's a little extreme. Also, I don't think the comparing to Hitler thing was as worn out by this time because obviously now whenever someone is upset at anyone they just compare them to Hitler because he's the worst person probably ever in existence so it's yeah. just really easy to be like oh wow you have hair so did so Hitler, did Hitler. Yeah. <laughs> you know so oh you have brown eyes actually I don't know what color Hitler's eyes are I don't know either. I think green I think right I don't know I think you think have green eyes I didn't read Mein Kampf neither did I I haven't <laughs> I don't know that. I don't know. I don't know what color Hitler's eyes were. All the pictures Great. are You should black know what color your significant 
partner's eyes are, you don't have to know what color Hitler's <laughs> eyes are. I thought you were going to say that Hitler was my significant other, and I was like, no. No, the opposite. I don't want anything to do with that man. Um, so, after closing arguments, and after just four hours of jury deliberation, where 12 jurors comprised of 10 women, two men, nine black, two white, and one Hispanic, did not even cover the physical evidence in the case before rendering the verdict, they brought a verdict back. Less than four hours. And that verdict very famously was not guilty. Now, this verdict, obviously we've just presented all of the evidence and how the prosecution refuted all of the defense's rebuttals to the evidence. So this verdict has largely been seen as controversial and also probably racially motivated. Um, Because as I mentioned, it's just a few years off of those riots in L.A. Right. You know, and it it has never stopped being a thing since then. It hasn't never stopped being a thing. Ever, In America. Right. You know, it's like there's been a division in races, and the division in race has moved its way into the police sector. Right. And it's obviously, it's obvious, it's been there since forever, and it was poking its head out very recently in this area in the early 90s when this case was happening. And they largely think that many of the people on the jury decided to acquit him as payback or recompense for the Rodney King trial where all those cops were acquitted. What's just frustrating is that there was no cop on trial. That's the thing. I would 100%, I would even, I would understand this, honestly, if it was a police, like this this man had murdered a policeman mm-hmm. in like an altercation at a traffic stop. Mm-hmm. You know, and they're like, no, this is payback for the time that you guys didn't, that you didn't get served justice over something very similar. Right. I'd, I'd get that. But that's not what this was. Nicole Brown and Ron Goldman had never directly hurt anyone. And now they never get justice or a conviction after they were murdered brutally, I might add. And it, when the evidence is obvious, right? I mean, that OJ Simpson committed this murder. I do think part of it too, and I know we were talking about this before we recorded, but I think a lot of people. I mean, obviously, we talked last episode about how many all the really astounding things that OJ did in his career, and I think that some people just cannot separate, or they can't. These people are just idolized in their eyes, and they can't admit that they would do something so heinous and awful and horrible that they just acquitted him yeah because they're like not the heisman trophy winner not the guy in the hertz commercials he can't he wouldn't hurt a fly jared from subway still got convicted oof <laughs> he sure did the evidence was a little bit more uh black and white i guess in that case i think it's pretty black and white in this case i, too, but, I think so as well um but i guess they did just find the child porn on his computer so that's kind of a hard one to get out of you can't be like the police planted that because they hate sandwiches you know like it just doesn't work hey like kids want to see my foot long <laughs> gross <laughs> i'm making a fun little sandwich joke and you're talking about showing kids his penis my mom also hated when I made that joke. That same joke? You had the audacity to tell it more than one time? I wanted to see how you'd react. This isn't surprising you, obviously. It shouldn't. This happens, like, every week. You're so much more mad than I thought My God. I'm crying. You're ridiculous. You didn't cry at the murder part. But you're like, crying at this. As I'm laughing, you were so mad. You were like, what the fuck? There's tears coming out of my eyes. Where's the Kleenexes? I don't know, man. Yes, I need a Kleenex. Oh, my God. One second. Here. Uh, Kleenex. My mom was so mad at me when I told her that joke when it all happened. For the first time since I've known you, I agree with your mom. So to move on. Yeah, sorry. Uh Although Simpson was not convicted in the criminal case, he was later found to be responsible for Ron Goldman's death in a civil case brought on by Ron Goldman's family, where he was ordered to give $33.5 million over to the Goldman family. Now, uh, in this civil case, by the way, one of Simpson's own lawyers flipped to testify against him because they believed that he actually was guilty. 
Which lawyer was it? Uh, I forget which one testified. but I don't think it was Rob Kardashian. might have been Shapiro. It sounds familiar. Um, but all of them, except for one, has now come out saying that they actually believe he did it. Well, did Rob Kardashian not come out because he's dead? No, he did. Before oh, he, he died, did? he made statements where he was like, I think OJ killed them. <laughs> Damn. And then OJ was in the works to release a book at one point. That was a hypothetical, in quotation marks, walk through the eyes of the killer that night called If I Did It. He didn't write it, but it was ghostwritten by someone based on interviews with OJ. I also just think that's very weird. What? Like, oh, yeah, let's write a book about how I didn't do it through the eyes of a killer if I were to have done it. He was down bad. He was He was like, he lost, he had to give all his money away in that civil suit. Because he was also only, his like net worth was only like, was less than $33 million, I'm pretty sure. So he was ordered to give over more than his money. So I think this was his way to get more money. I know, but I feel like there's a different way we could go about this. Yeah. But was, I guess it wouldn't have been that sensational. It was stupid. And when they announced it, everyone else thought so as well. Because due to intense backlash by the public... The publishing company, uh, who, which was a subsidiary of Fox, decided to cancel it. Um, but later, uh, a judge in the civil set- settlement ordered the book rights to be given to the Goldman family, who then did decide to release the book um, under a change title. It's still called If I Did It, but they added colon, The Confessions of a Killer. And they also made the if really teeny tiny in the Or eye. like they would make it transparent so yeah. it just looks like it says I did it. So it just looks like it says I did it, which is a good marketing ploy. Um, but it's pretty fucked up because um, there was also a um, television interview at the same time that was supposed to go on in concurrence with the book release called uh, O.J. Simpson's The Lost, like O.J. Simpson, The Lost Confession, question mark, uh, where he also gives an account of what happened that night live in an interview. And a lot of the times he does it in the first person where he says, like, I went to her house and I had words with her outside about, like, what is she doing? You know, like sneaking around with people. Dude, he fuck. And also it didn't matter what she was doing because you guys weren't together. I know. That was and you were cheating so on her stupid. the whole time. I think he's a very possessive person. So the juice did get squeezed for most of his money, however, uh, even being forced to auction off his Heisman Trophy uh, in order to raise an initial like half a million dollars to give in the settlement. Um, But he didn't stay out of trouble uh, because in 2007, he orchestrated a Las Vegas robbery to steal back some of his sports memorabilia. And he was then arrested because he didn't do it very well because he's kind of dumb. Uh, and charged with criminal conspiracy, kidnapping, assault, robbery, and using a deadly weapon because it was said one of them had a gun. Even though he later, like, he later was like, none of us had a gun. We did do all the other stuff, but we didn't have a gun. It, it, it doesn't matter, though, because the kidnapping charge is the biggest charge. Uh, and he was sentenced to 33 years in prison, which normally would be a harsh sentence, but I think that the judge sentencing him was probably like, you got off on murder. Honestly, that's probably what happened. So you're getting 33 yeah. years for this. Mm-hmm. Um, but he only served 10 anyway, because he got out in 2017 and has been quietly retired from the public eye from Hertz commercials and murdering ever since. Well, I think that Hertz dropped him as soon as everything happened. Yeah, it was more just a, a joke. Uh-huh. He retired from that. And I do remember like watching this thing about how like when he got acquitted, he tried to like go out to dinner and no one would let him eat at the restaurant. Uh, get the fuck out. It's like how Casey Anthony right now is just uh-huh. like in uh, like West Palm Beach and she's just like always out and about at bars and shit. She's because she fucking loves to party, which is why she killed her kid. Fuck that bitch. So she's just out, you know, still being Casey Anthony. She's a regular at a, a fucking bar there. I just heard about it the other day. She's so disgusting. Yeah, she is. She's the fucking worst. Don't get me started on her. No. <clears throat> Wait, let me get my, uh, my like, Your, dateline. What did you call on. that? Murder porn Murder voice? Murder porn, yeah. It's the, that's the term used for all those shows that just, like, yeah. glorify murder, just talk about murder. Kind of like what we're doing right here. Uh, <laughs> kind of like what we're doing right this second. You know, they just make money off of we murder financi- and other we've, people's suffering. We financial crime porn. 
Yeah. Well, and also a little bit of murder porn once a season. Yeah. We keep it to a minimum. We do. Um, <clears throat> the Juice was a man who had it all. Money, women, drugs, fame. But he also had something darker, a terrible temper. O.J. Simpson was a success story. Coming from nothing, from a childhood marred by trauma and disease to reach the pinnacle in American society and enjoyed all the benefits that came with it, but still chose on that fatal night, at least it's overwhelmingly likely that he did, to brutally murder two people just because he thought his ex-wife might have moved on a little bit. There was an inherent distrust over DNA testing, which was unfounded, and a, detrust, and a distrust over the police, which was and still is to this day, rooted in many incidents towards people of color by the police. Times haven't changed much, but that doesn't mean that O.J. Simpson didn't murder Nicole Brown and Ron Goldman. Even to this day, the percentage of people who believe O.J. committed the murder has grown from 67% in 1994 to 88% in 2020. And I don't know about you, I'm siding with the 88. I'm going to use that as my new catchphrase. I'm <laughs> siding with the 88. I'm siding with the 88. So thank you guys so much for listening. <laughs> thank you so much. I'm excited to another season, season three of White Collars, Red Hands. I'm proud of us, Keish. We really out here doing it. Naya. We are. We really do be doing it. We really do be doing it. Uh, 32 episodes in. Mm-hmm. If you don't count the small claims courts. And um, we will be back next week. We will. There won't be an official. There will be an official episode released. It's not official. It's going to be very light. It's just a fun one. We're not talking about any crime in it. Nope. We're just sitting down. Crime may come up. Crime may come up. But we're not focusing on a story. Yeah, that's not the main part. We're going to be sitting down and we're going to be playing Fuck, Mary Kill with all of the U.S. presidents. Uh, it should be a really fun time. We're going to live stream it on our Facebook page at uh, on Wednesday, 7-7 at 7 p.m. Ooh. Central Standard Time. So for those of you on the East Coast, that is 5 o'clock, 8 p.m. Oh, yeah. And for those of you on the West Coast, that is 5 p.m. Okay, now we got it. So it should be fun. Uh, if you like what you hear today, uh, you can support us for free by Mm -hmm. going to iTunes and leaving us a review. We love a five-star review. I say the same shit every week. Yes, uh, you do. we will also take an honest review that gives us stuff to improve upon. And look, we got one more that isn't up yet, but it will be soon. Uh, So we did receive one. It just told me we had 58 earlier. We have 59 now. Oh, nice. But it doesn't, it like takes time to update yeah. what it is. Yeah. So I, I can't tell immediately. Um, so we got this last week from Sunny Joe 98 uh, This commentary in capitals makes this podcast. Thanks, Sonny. I love this podcast. I find myself laughing on my way to work listening to this. It takes talent to make this content intriguing to listen to. <laughs> Thank you for making my drives better. Aw, thanks, man. That's true. Or we, girl. I don't know. Thank you, person. Thank you, Sunny Joe 98. Yes. The genderless Sunny Joe 98. Um, you're right. It. <laughs> I guess I should have said you're right. It does take talent to make this intriguing. But it takes a little bit. This shit can be boring. Yeah. And we 100% understand that. And I may, you know, get a boner for fucking accounting fraud. But I know not everyone does. I mean, Kashan loves accounting fraud and baseball. That's what gets him hard. Yeah. Man, oh, when Bernie Madoff um, stole all the money from the Mets, they lost all their money because they invested with Bernie Madoff and it combined baseball and accounting fraud. Oh, my God. I couldn't go anywhere for three days. I was also like seven, though, so <laughs> maybe not. <laughs> we're, I, we're getting off topic. Again. Uh, <laughs> Uh, so that is a free way that you can support us is leaving us a nice review like Sonny Joe did. Uh, the higher our rating on iTunes, the more listeners we get, the more the algorithm on there pushes us. So we'd love that. Um, if you want to support us in a less free way, we have merch, which yeah. we're going to be showing off on that uh, 
that live stream. Yes. Next week, you'll be seeing us and some merch, and uh, we'll let you know where to get it. If you want to get some right now, though, the link is in the show's description. You can head there and pick some up. And if you also want to get to that merch link, you can follow us on our socials where you can find it all. Uh, that's Facebook.com slash White Collars Red Hands, Twitter at White Collars Pod. Our Instagram at White Collars underscore Red Hands. You can also visit our website, read our bios, or listen to the show directly at WhiteCollarsRedHands.com. If you have a suggestion for a show or you just want to connect with us in some way, then you don't want to send us a DM on any of those previously mentioned social links. I'm, fucking, I'm such an old man. I forgot I forgot the name for it for a second. Uh, and you're like, you know, the website <laughs> thing. Then you can The sen- internet. You can send us a good old-fashioned email snail mail at white collars well no you can't send anything to my actual house i'm not giving you my address so don't do that um but you can you can send an email to white collars red hands at gmail.com that it yep that's it so thank you guys so much for listening we'll be taking two weeks off from releasing in actual full episode but we'll come back with season four after that we're not done yet no nope. make sure to get your suggestions into that email before we're doing a production meeting soon so you think you have one more week to put them in before we start season four and uh that's it so i know i've gotten one. Oh well there we go yep. uh i don't think i have anything in the works yet so I have wide one. open there's 10 episodes yep. get in there nine more to be filled nope i've gotten two so eight we have more to be filled eight more to be filled <laughs> um so once again thank you guys so much for supporting us on this we've had a blast and we can't wait to keep doing it and we'll see you on another season of white collars red, red hands, hands.